Welcome to the Unbuild It podcast. This is uh, Switzerland Siga trip to day two. Um, again, Steve Basic uh, was unable to attend this trip. He had a previous engagement. So my weekly co-host this week is uh, Tim Euler from uh, Awesome Framers or Pioneer Homes. Welcome Good to Tim. be here. Yeah, this is fun. Thank you. Tim's uh, Tim's giving up uh, time to walk around and see cool stuff to record the podcast with us. Uh, and our other normal host, Peter Yost, uh, has been given uh, instructions by his physician that he is too old to travel now, and so therefore, Peter is not here, and we are joined by Belinda Carr. Uh, welcome, Belinda. Thank you. Appreciate it. And real quick before we go, before we get started, uh, YouTube and Instagram, right? Uh, minimal presence on Instagram. I'm a little bit intimidated by by how how active all of y'all are on TikTok and Instagram, I feel very very old on this trip. Surprisingly, <laughs> you're probably the smartest one out of all of us. I, I, yeah, I highly doubt that. But it takes a lot. <laughs> I think if we realized how much energy it takes to be that active on Instagram, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's just bathroom breaks. <laughs> so that you can post. That's up. a lot of bathroom breaks, Jake. You must drink a lot of water, <laughs> mint gas. <laughs> okay, so. Day one, we learned a bunch of stuff at the Sega factory, and it was kind of almost um, in a vacuum. We hadn't we hadn't seen what Swiss construction looked like yet. We hadn't seen uh, where their like frame of reference comes from because they don't just make stuff for North America. It kind of is they make stuff for Europe and a global market that just happens to apply somewhat to what we do in the United States, and so. You have to assume that like their manufacturing process and the way that they're oriented as a company didn't start with being oriented to the North American market. So it has to have some things about it that are different. And I think that yesterday, all those little things made a little more sense. So we got to see two different types of construction. Do you want to, does somebody want to volunteer to talk about the first one that we saw? Yeah, the modular. So, it's, yeah. so yeah, it was, some people asked me on Instagram last night. When I think of modular in the States, it's different, right? This was like prefab, but the way that they're modular is that those sections can be joined sideways, you know, from all, all four directions, mm -hmm. but or go up. And then over time, you can also come back and decide you want to add another level. So your initial buildings, it's a hospital with two floors. We want a third. And so they can bring it out and set it up very quickly. Yeah, so the modular nature of it, as I understood it, there is a uh, precast concrete slab that's set into a metal framework and that metal cube that has no walls, it's just corner posts. And, and, and then that metal cube can be plugged up against any other metal cube, as long as they know that that might happen at some point, which is like, okay, yeah, it's Legos. Like yeah. Every piece interlocks with every piece. But I thought what I thought was really interesting is they have like two business models and one is that. And the other one was just panelized construction. And he was just like, yeah, sometimes we can't do the, the plug and play thing. Sometimes we have to use panelized construction. And I was like, for them to have that frame of reference in both directions where they have that knowledge base, it's got to make them better at both because they have to understand how parts go together on each side. And then I'm sure there's something that they do the like they're both. I didn't see the panelized construction. Did they have some samples in their factory? They did in that back, that huge back room. They had... Uh, a house on like three trailer 
like their trailer beds without the wheels on them. They pulled the trailer underneath of it, pulled the legs off, and they were ready to go. So they okay. had one residential construction project in there at the moment. And the rest was just a McDonald's split into twenty three <laughs> yeah. different. How how modules. American coincidence <laughs> that that we came all the way here to watch someone put together a McDonald's? It was three stories. Did you see the plans for it? No, I saw. I thought it was two. They three stories. Yeah, they had it posted on uh, one of those like side walls mm-hmm. where it was like, man, we stood there. Um, Greg and I stood there looking at it, going, "Okay, this one is that one over there. This one." And I was just like, "This is totally Legos. This is completely like, oh, I can see how the pieces fit together." Thing mm-hmm. from a construction method, I thought it was cool that just like in the United States, there was a bunch of those little cubes that had ratchet straps going diagonally mm-hmm. on them. I was like, "That one wasn't square," <laughs> and they had to fix it. Yep, like, gotta pull it. But you were you made the comment like, "Oh, I could I could do all this uh, on site in forty five minutes." When, when we saw the the CNC oh, yeah. machine well, with yeah. a chainsaw. And you're being slightly facetious when you said that. Last time I said something like that and I had to follow it up, I was in pain for a week. <laughs> I'm getting a little too old to hustle like that. Yeah, watching the... Um, well, so the one thing I really appreciated was seeing how all of their lumber's laminated. So it's pieces glued together and then finger jointed in long lengths, nice and straight. But watching essentially the CNC machine cut rafters, I think, I think I've recorded it and timed it from start to finish. It was a little less than three minutes per you know what with it like four it's by a, ten rafters yeah four by ten rafter that had uh a dado on two sides to accept some framing members and a notch on both ends and a bird's mouth and everything and it's like yeah i can do that but it's a heck of a lot easier to just yeah. load it into the machine than carry it away from the machine yeah yeah especially if you want to be accurate i could do that in 45 minutes they would not be identical. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> no, there's no way. And and the guy that was running that machine had been there for 30 years. Yeah. So he was probably in his early 60s, maybe? I was going to say 35. Yeah. yeah. That's a good math joke. I like math jokes. So I want to hear the, the architect's perspective on what we saw yesterday. I did like the the hybrid um, nature of all those modules. Like they, It wasn't that metal or wood is is the only way to go they had the concrete base they had these metal posts they had wood integrated into the panels and it was them embracing all different types of materials and work and seeing how they can come together in this uh, in this futuristic offside modular method of construction um like in the states if this were if this were done in the states it would be just wood or there's this one company in Grand Junction, Colorado, that makes these panels, but just out of metal. And that's it. They embrace this one, one path and go down that one path. And I think if you do, if you, if you try to uh, make different kind of materials work together, you can push the technology much further, I think. Um, It was disappointing to see how reliant on manual labor the whole process was because I think a lot more steps could have been automated. Um, This is one TV show we watch, Grand Designs, and um, they have a lot of the homes that they build in this TV show are manufactured in Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. And whenever they they, they record footage of the, the construction of these homes, most of it is automated. They have all these different kind of machines that don't tilt up these um, systems and even the assembly, everything is automated. It seemed like a lot of this was still manual labor involved in the casting of the stairs, beautiful stairs, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Everything was like very highly finished, but there was a lot of human intervention in it. And 
I, like when he talked about the tur- the turnaround process, he said it takes about a year to get these um, structures fully completed, assembled on on the job site and stuff. And if if it's going to be more expensive, it's not really going to be faster. What's the incentive to really switch over yeah. to offsite? And he did modular? say it's more expensive. Yes. Which is like that's the first time I've heard a prefab company admit yeah, this to costs that. More. Yeah. If you've ever priced it, it costs more. <laughs> like I don't care how many times you tell me, oh, we, we're making this many houses this year and we're going to save this much money. No, you're not. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, Even here. The yeah. big selling point was basically you can put it together on site quickly. Yes, yeah. but but it's not that it's made it's quicker. Not, yeah. Yeah. You can say it, it's assembled quicker, marketed as being built quicker, but it's not being built quicker. So that was disappointing. Yeah, maybe just less time on site. Yeah. yeah. But that doesn't tell the whole story. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. And he he did mention that a lot more of what they do is able to be recycled as well, which, again, I've never seen a building be recycled. I, I fully understand that someday we may be short enough on materials that it becomes more of a thing. And I think that we should be working towards that. It's just one of those other, like, it's still not a selling point for me. Like when people are like, oh, well, we should use cellulose because we can recycle it. Not once have I seen anybody. I mean, like, the the whole reason we have such a massive problem with plastic is because it can be recycled. It can definitely be recycled. It can be uh, brought, it can be separated into seven different types of plastics like they if you actually look at plastic yeah, bottles and all the, that you yes so that tells you what type of plastic it is and it can definitely be recycled but it's not cost effective the same with construction like you just said we can definitely break down buildings separate them into individual parts and i think there's a company in texas that does that i think they're called unbuilders but it's just not cost effective to do that yeah and so at what point does it become like it's so challenging to know when this is actually like is this our lifetime yeah i wonder you know it's starting to feel that way yeah that is going to happen during our lifetime yeah Yeah. maybe not scaled up but you know just being here seeing the temperatures in europe seeing wildfires in western washington or uh, western u.s and just the how quickly things seem to be changing, it just wouldn't surprise me if, if like the next five years we got to that point where, like they're talking about, we might have we might not have access to food like we always have in the U.S. You know, Ukraine can't ship out to other countries. You know, it, all yeah. these things, and it could just be that we get to that point where, like us as builders, are we? We might have to start like salvaging, right? Because yeah. we can't get that one thing. The project that, that we visited for Huber. In San Diego back in December, he had been waiting on a giant window for like eight months. Yeah. And when we saw him in June, it was not any better. (laughs) And so then at that point, do you go, well, I got to get the house done. We got to get it closed in. So do I have to go and salvage something? Yeah. Do I put a wall here? Yeah. That's very interesting. So you're saying that maybe construction is going to switch over to people salvaging materials, holding inventory, and then that changes, that determines what the design is, what the eventual outcome Maybe. is. Yeah. Like a window opening is determined by what you have in stock yeah. currently. Yeah, because you, you got to get the house done, right? Yeah. And because we've done that with suppliers where you're like, I don't really want to go to Home Depot for that one window that yeah. we decided to add last minute. But it's either that or, you, or what? You don't, you just you wait like 12 weeks yeah. to finish the house. Yeah, or more. It might, but maybe not on a big scale. It just might be kind of like for people like us that can make those decisions where you got to just get it done. Yeah. 
But yeah. So one of the other really cool things they had a couple uh, production tables in that back room where like the bulk of the work was going on, uh, and one of the one of the production tables had two walls, two gable walls that had windows cut out already, and they had an inset above the window, almost like a blind pocket, but it's on the outside. And that's one of those things that, like, when when I look at Europe, it's one of the things that I think they have figured out way better than us. So, in Europe, it's common to buy the window, the metal extension jam to match the window, and the blinds all from one manufacturer in one shot, and the blinds go on the outside of the window. From an energy efficiency standpoint, if I can make it so that the sun never hits my window, i.e. it's in the shade... That window never gets hot. That window never makes my room hot. My window performs better. I mean, right now we're we're recording in a in a back room, and the first thing I did was close the blinds on the outside, and it got way more comfortable in here. And I was kind of upset that I didn't do that when I walked in here forty five minutes ago. <laughs> well, that's what we were just talking about. Is that by the end, which is super interesting, but I was struggling to kind of keep my eyes open. It would have been nice to have some fresh air. <laughs> so I wonder if that's a, a CO two thing or if that's. Uh, just it got warm in here because we we're all in here. And these have been long days. They have been, They've long been good, days. but long days. Late nights and early morning. Lots of bus rides. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we didn't we didn't note it. DM Bao B A U is the company that we went to. I actually looked for them on Instagram and didn't see them. Yeah, I couldn't find them. Uh, I'm sure you can find them online. They're on YouTube. They buy a lot of stuff from Sega. That's why Sega had the influence to go. Hey, can we bring a bunch of people and let them crawl around your <laughs> plant? Uh, Oh, also, I should note that, especially there and even today, we'll get to day three on another podcast. Uh, one of the things that I like most about Europe is people being treated like adults. Like we were allowed to just walk around the, the plant and nobody got hurt. They said, you know, please don't go in this area. And that was it. And it was just like, no if that was the United States. Like stalking you. Yeah. And, it would have yeah. been like we were joking the other day, the the rope with all the rings on it for the toddlers to cross the street. Like that's the way we get treated there. And it's it's a it's a weird thing. I had a friend uh, go to the Goodwood Festival of Speed in England. And uh, I think it's north of London and Goodwood. And it's just this uh, private property that they open up and have all sorts of races and, and uh, cars, uh, car show and everything. And he was like, yeah, they gave me my beer in a glass and there were no ropes around the cars. And I was just standing looking at a $5 million Ferrari and my glass of beer might have dropped on the Ferrari, but nobody did. And we all acted like adults. And I thought of that all day yesterday when we were at DM Bath. It was just like a, oh, you're, you're fine. Yeah. We're, we climbed that set of winder stairs. Yeah. Like pre Immediately. We're all at the top hanging out, taking pictures of connections. And I'm like, in the States, like even for our job sites, there's no way. Like we can't be six feet higher, right? Without some kind of guardrail or fall protection. Yeah. Well, thankfully nobody did fall. (laughs) (laughs) They would have regretted their choice. Uh, Okay. So then uh, back on the bus, lunch, and then back on the bus again. And uh, we went to a multifamily job site. And I don't know the name of the company that was doing it i don't even think i took a picture of their sign uh we'll put it in show notes or something uh but it was very interesting so a lot of the conversation uh that we've had has been about like regulation if you want to do x you have to do all this paperwork you have to get approval from the 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 city and all those sorts of things uh very much sounds like you know 
New York City, like the the pain in the butt that you might have to go through. But if you look around, the the communities look very homogenous. They all look cared for. There is, you know, it seems like it's okay with the people that live here. So fine. I don't live here. It doesn't matter to me if I feel like it might be cumbersome to build here. They had torn down a tile production facility, a roof tile production facility. And the site manager was telling me that this 18-unit building that they were building, they had 400,000 francs worth of uh, diesel fuel remediation on the property before they could start building. And it didn't impact the budget. Like, they have a big enough budget for that 18-unit building that, like, it wasn't a big deal that they had to spend 400 grand on remediation because the lot was so that tells you the level of expense it goes to to just build an 18 unit building. The other thing is I was I was having a conversation with Etienne the other night about homes and property values and everything here and he said the land is way more pro- uh way more expensive than the building. Therefore, if you sell a piece of land, anybody who buys it's putting multifamily on it because they can't afford to build a single family home and pay the mortgage off of, you know. So that's an interesting concept that we we just don't adhere to yeah. in Dallas, Washington, or Missouri. You know, like it's a well, land is so easily available. Yeah, and okay, drive five more minutes. I yeah, mean, yeah, just drive five minutes out of town. Uh, so I'm curious to hear um, takeaways from that. Like, what was what was your impression of it? It was very very different than any other job site I've seen in the states for one, because everything seemed overdone in my opinion the walls were ridiculously thick the floor slabs were and there was an intention why because they were trying to get to passive house standards and Mm -hmm. it was extremely well insulated but it it seemed like an extremely heavy building like the amount of material that went into that could have been used for three uh, three units of a similar size three buildings of a similar size so that was my first impression but i did want to say that Yes, it was extremely expensive and like I didn't know that they spent so much on soil remediation, but it was like the creme de la creme of of, of construction. Yeah. That doesn't happen all across the country. I'm sure people build just as cheaply as we do in the States um, and put up uh, multifamily units. This This was one of the best construction sites we've ever seen. Yeah. That's yeah, why Yeah, Siga's not going to take us to... Yeah. The dumpy <laughs> below grade contractor. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk wall assembly. Let's do building science deep dive real quick. The wall assembly on this building was uh, a two by 10. It looked like a two or by three 10. By? They they yeah, three by 10. Basically. Three by 10 with um, maybe an R6 continuous on the outside, uh, mineral wool stuffed in the cavity. And then uh, gypsum board with tape as the air barrier. So that's like effectively the the structural wall. And if you're following along closely, that's completely vapor open and no barriers really. Uh, and then they had um, a two by three channel that they were adding to all the interior walls inboard of everything that I just described, where. You know, your inboard of your air barrier then, because they were taping the gypsum, and 
inboard of that is all of their, we call it Smurf tube in our market, flexible conduit that's like corrugated, mm -hmm. that then they're fishing everything through and then they insulate over top of that. From from the walls that I saw, they had blocking on the inside of that exterior drywall and then another layer of drywall. Yeah. And so they used insulation on both sides of that. Yeah. And so it's it's one of them's an air barrier and the other one's the, the plaster face that yeah. you'll get to see that mm -hmm. looks pretty. Which makes perfect sense from a like, well, if, if somebody wants to hang a picture, they're not poking a hole in your air barrier. But at the same time, like you're saying, the number of layers in this assembly, yeah, I was blown away as well. Like, And the floor assembly where they were, it was CLT floor, like six inches of loose pea gravel, basically, that had some sort of binder to make it kind of stay in place. And then it was going to be insulation and then lightweight concrete over top of that with heated floor in it, right? Yeah, so lightweight concrete, then the the heated floor radiant tubes, and then another layer of concrete yeah. over that. It's it's funny because the first the first um, factory we visited was about offsite modular simplify construction, and then the second site we visited like the actual job site was about how complex can we actually make this building how many materials can we put together how thick can everything be it was the complete opposite mentality almost was it r48 wall it was an r50 r50 yeah. so we did they don't use r value here so we did a calculation based off of the plans that he showed us and the the u factor that they had available so math wise it's a bright at an r50 i i so I kind of shut down mentally walking into that building where I don't, I don't have multifamily as a background and seeing that level, I think Belinda hits it. It seemed like there were so many repeated steps and I don't understand the building science. I, that would be really cool to spend time on. So from a guy that works on the structural side, walking in and seeing how perfect all the concrete work was on the main level, I was looking for cold joints, pore lines, like anything, nothing, smooth walls. And all of their door jams that were preset before the the floor work was done, yeah. everything was perfectly flush. I wanted to find a level and check for plumb. <laughs> and so the thing that impresses me you could you could take the framer off of his job site, but you can't take the job site out of the <laughs> no. <laughs> is even like looking at the mock up behind us. I'm like, look at all of these layers, but every layer was done meticulously well. Like the way that the, the windows were taped to whatever layer they were on, that tape looked perfect. Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether it's hidden or whether it doesn't, it, they put in 100% on every single layer. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. do you think that this stems from the fact that maybe they grew up in a building that's older than the United States? Like that it's been in your family for generations, you think differently about buildings? Yeah. That you, that you go, well, I'm, I'm building this to last 500 years, so I'd have to... But again, I, I think that building was an exception. It would be unfair to generalize all construction in switzerland as exceptional because we visited an exceptional sure. building um that was a one-off it was done meticulously because there was an intention behind it and they they wanted they want to make an exceptional multi-family home that meets passive house standards and w works extremely well but i don't think that philosophy is applied throughout the country do you feel like I, I felt like that philosophy was applied a little to the, or for the most part, to the prefab manufacturer, though, too. Like, they they seem to be meticulous and doing a really good job and building above what I would think of as standard in the United States, at least, you know. Well, uh, I haven't visited a 
a similar prefab. Yeah, we haven't just snuck on to. Yeah, <laughs> we need to just see if they can pull over at what we think looks like a dirty job site, yeah. like wherever we can find trash. Well, outside. yeah, I know because we were up in Latterbrunnen and then uh, Vangen, and there was a lot of newer homes. You could tell the wood siding. It looked like what the wood that we're looking at here versus the house next door that looked like it might be a hundred years old. And I was I was cu- curious about that because we visited Latterbrunnen and Muren too, and a lot of the older homes. The wood was charred, so that's a Japanese technique where they mm-hmm. char the surface to prevent it from aging. But the newer buildings weren't, yeah. and I didn't know why they would do that because wood, would, that sort of fresh pine would automatically de- deteriorate much faster than charred pine. And I wonder if they wait a few years and then they char Maybe. it. Yeah, I don't know. Could yeah. be, or some things. You know, if it really is on a rain screen the size that we saw the other day, that was like an inch and a half. If you're putting up thick enough wood, you might have 100-year siding at that point. Hmm, because like, the outer layer automatically yeah. weathers and protects things behind it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if you think about a barn that's never been conditioned, there are barns yeah. all over the United States that are 150 years old. Yeah. And it's like, but the problem is when you put conditioned forces on them and you cause different vapor drive and you don't just have things that can just wet and dry, wet and dry. Uh, you know, a log will last a lot longer across a creek than it will sitting on the ground sort of thing. Um, I did want to talk with you, Tim, uh, as we start to wrap up here, we're not in a huge hurry, but, uh, I wanted to talk to you about some of the construction methods and the tools that they were using on the job site. Did you see the insulation saw? Only in, in everybody's reels. Okay. Yeah. Somehow I walked right past that. So if you think of the, um, Kind of like the saws at Home Depot. But That's they exactly where I was at. Yeah, panel I was saw. Looking, I was looking for the word panel saw, and I was going to say Home Depot. Exactly. They had a, a panel saw, basically, that was still a handsaw, a serrated blade, for cutting mineral wool. And the reason that they had that is they were taking that meticulous time. And there were there was one wall that... Sorry, let me back up. The width of material that they had, the insulation, was not appropriate to stand vertical in the studs that they had without stripping two inches off of it for the full length of the bat. So they were turning all of the bats sideways, which sounds totally like us. Like, oh, we can't get the insulation? Let's waste 50 days cutting insulation so that it'll fit. But it was all turned on its side, cut to the width of the stud bay, and then they were using all the little scraps. So there was a spot that was like at head height, uh, of like pieces. four inch by four inch pieces, but there was no, like you couldn't slide a playing yeah. card in around them. And I was kind of just blown away. And I was like, I didn't even know that anybody made one of these. I mean, it makes sense. Why wouldn't you? Uh, but then the other thing that we've talked about already, uh, cranes. Every job site that we've seen has had a little gantry crane, uh, you know, something with a 70 foot arm or something on it where you can reach the majority of the job site with the crane and we'll talk on the next one about the trade school. But one of the comments from the trade school was the bulk of people leaving the industry right now are 35 to 40 years old. And so they're trying to change the way they do construction in Switzerland to make it not backbreaking. And I, when we were here in January, I thought the same thing. I wonder if I could afford a crane. I wonder what the cost to own one of those little, and they're electric. And uh, the site super yesterday at the job was saying you pay a monthly rental on the crane. 
you generally have at least two guys on site that are qualified to run the crane. So, like, you might have a guy that's cutting insulation who's also... <laughs> with the window open if you hear the scooter going by. And the crane behind you swinging as you were talking. <laughs> Is it? it was, like, very apropos. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and... And now I lost my train of thought. Scooters get me excited, I guess. <laughs> Cranes. Cost of the crane. Yes. Let, and Monthly maybe rent. for the sake of the podcast, if I hear you and Ben Bogey talking about a joint venture on a crane, <laughs> one more minute, <laughs> I might so force you to just buy it's a, one. It's a monthly rate that they pay to have the crane on site. They always have at least one or two people on site that are qualified to hop on it and do whatever lift they need. Uh, but then they also pay by the hour that it operates or by the lift. And he was like, it's $140 an hour for when you have the crane turned on, or it's $50 a lift. And they can change how they bill at all times, like on a weekly basis or a daily basis or something. And he was like, so sometimes we invo- we we pay by the hour. Sometimes we pay um, by the lift. And he's like, it depends on who's here and who's operating the crane and what task they're doing. Because it's like, well, you might want to pay by the hour if all you're doing is picking pallets of insulation up to the third floor real quick because you might get six lifts in an hour where it's going to be a lot more if you pay by the lift and i was like that's a really interesting it also how european we're going to bill you twice for the thing that you've already paid for (laughs) like (laughs) it's just a different thought process here because we were here back in 09 that was the first thing i noticed was every every residential site had a crane a small crane yeah and we have an old family member he ate even single family yeah yeah like, so you're seeing that all up where we were at Lauterbrunnen and up there. It's just a different, you know, like, like your point about trying to make it less backbreaking. They're using bigger pieces of wood than we use. Yeah. You know, we're packing two by fours and everything they had yesterday was a three by 10, you know? And so it's like, okay, everything's, everything feels more substantial here. So that's just got to be part of the, the, um, the Swiss way of doing things. We're going to have to have another podcast just on windows and doors and how most substantial they are compared to the state. No, well, <laughs> so the one window, did either of you got, operate that big sliding glass door? Mm, yeah. yeah. And you just barely push it? Yep. I don't think I could lift that thing into place, but to push no. it, you know, I think a two-year-old could, could make it move. I mean, that's the sales point that I use for the European windows that are in my house. We have a uh, 14-foot wide patio door that's seven and a half feet tall. And the operating panel is five feet wide and it weighs 480 pounds. And my daughter, who is five when we moved in, can slide it back and forth without having to huff and puff. Like, yeah. So everything they do has that that weight. Doesn't it just kind of feel, I appreciated Belinda's point. It would be kind of nice to go prowl around some job sites just to see. Because that building yesterday really was. We just got to look for people with no sleeves. (laughs) And then we can find the appropriate job (laughs) site. But even the little farmer houses. Yeah. You know, little in quotes, they still had a crane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just every, you know, they, they've all got their um, decks that it can leave her out from the house, giant overhangs, exposed wood. It was kind of cool to see how the timbers kind of gradually went past each other. And so everything just feels heavy here. And so now I understand why everybody on YouTube keeps saying, why do you guys build with cardboard and sticks? Mm-hmm. By comparison, that's what it looks like. So it's just a different thought process. I mean, Adolf, our friend, they have a family house that's been in the family for centuries. And so he'd come back to Switzerland for re-roof. Helicopter brings up the, you know, it's just a different way yeah. of, of building. Or, uh, uh, but it's in, entwined. It's a slower in, mentality, too. Yeah. And it, even the instructors here, I don't know, I really appreciate the, um, I feel like going back to the U.S., I don't think I'm always in a hurry. 
but I think by comparison I am. It's like, slow down a little bit. Make things last longer. Maybe we'll last a little longer too on top of it. Okay. That, that's for sure. That's one big difference. Like everything's so intense in the States. Fast pace. Go, go, go. Everyone has, everyone's on a mission over here. Everyone's just like, let's think about this. Let's take lunch, an extended lunch, drinks, dinner, and then maybe come back tomorrow and then figure out a better way to do it. I think that's going to be our closing thought for today. Thank you guys for joining me today. Stay tuned uh, for uh, Switzerland Day 3. With, hey, go follow Belinda on YouTube. Yes, oh, follow Belinda uh, and unfollow Tim because you yeah. can only follow one or the yeah. other. Love averages, and then that's okay. Yeah, you'll get way more bang for your buck. And if you have any questions about what happened here, uh, it's Building Right Peter on Instagram. <laughs> have a good day.